We meet today in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 to verse 23. We're still talking about the power for Christian living. We have seen the philosophy of Christian living, the pattern of Christian living, the prize for Christian living, and now still looking at the power for Christian living. In our last study of this chapter, we found that joy is the source of power and that prayer is the secret of power. Today we will consider the contemplation of Christ as the sanctuary of power and being in Christ as the satisfaction of power. First, the contemplation of Christ as the sanctuary of power. Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Philippians 4 verse 8 Finally, brethren, Remember that Paul had even used this statement at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1 of chapter 3, when he was just halfway through. Well, now he is nearly through and he is giving his last admonitions. Well, this has been called the briefest biography of Christ because it is only Christ, the one who is true. He is the way the truth, and the life. What the Apostle Paul is calling us to do, to think about those things, those things are very true, only of Christ. Finally, brethren, the things that are true, the things that are noble, the things that are just, the things that are pure, things that are lovely, things are of good report, praise with, is the Lord. Now, I must say also, you and I live in a dirty world. You cannot walk on the streets of any city without getting dirty. Your mind gets dirty. Your eyes get dirty. Do you ever get tired of the filth of it? I do. If a Christian is going to spend his time with the dirty and filth and questionable things of this world, there will not be power in his life. The reason we have so many weak Christians today is that they spend so much time with the things of the world, filling their minds and hearts and tummies with the things of this world. Then they wonder why there is no power in their lives. You see, my friend, we need a sanctuary. We need something to think upon that will clean up our minds. There are some questions to think about. How much time do you spend with the word of God? How much time do you spend contemplating Christ? Second Corinthians 3 verse 18 tells us, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Word of God is a mirror, and in it we behold the glory of the Lord. The only way you and I can behold the living Christ is in the Word of God. As you behold him, there is liberty, there is a freedom and growth that he will give you. You cannot come by it in any other way. Now, I think one of the things that will cause believers to be ashamed at the appearing of Christ will be their ignorance of the word of God. 
I'm of the opinion that he will say to many of us, I gave you all the information you needed in the word of God. In the scriptures, it was there. You didn't listen to me. You didn't hear me. Well, we say that one of the problems with our children is that they don't listen to their parents. Well, the problem with the children of God is that they don't listen to their heavenly father. Contemplation of Christ, that is the sanctuary of power. Many of us need to leave the busyness and the dirtiness of this world and go aside with the word of God, where we can think, where we can meditate upon him, where we can worship him and praise him. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4 verse 9. You see, a better word for the word do is actually practice. These do, these practice. Paul lived in that sanctuary of power because he had made Christ the very center and periphery of his life. And because he was connected, he is now even bold enough to say, you have seen me do, you have heard me, you have received, you have learned, do these things. And my God will be with you. Now we move on to the satisfaction of power, that is being in Christ. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Philippians 4 verse 10. Now, at the beginning, I said that the epistle to the Philippians is primarily a thank you note. Before Paul got down to the thank you part, he dealt with the Christian experience. He has been talking about Christian experience throughout the epistle. Now he is thanking them for their gift. For two years, the church in Philippi had lost touch with Paul. They had not known where he was after he had been arrested in Jerusalem and then put in prison for two years. The next time they heard about him, he had been transferred to a prison in Rome. They apologized to him for not having contact with him and for not communicating their gifts to him during those years. Paul is excusing them in a most gracious manner. What does he say? But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, Paul is saying you had lost contact with me so that you didn't have the opportunity to be helpful to me. And this Paul is very gracious. But now this is his thank you not. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Philippians 4 verse 11. Now Paul introduces something here. The word contentment, which means to be independent of external circumstances. It has even the idea of being self-driven self-sufficient in the right sense, using the resources that are in you. It conveys the idea of competence and self-sufficiency. The evident rationale for post-contentment here 
is the providence of God. Although human understanding of difficult circumstances may be lacking, God's fatherhood and goodness are assured. Therefore, confidence should rule in the life of a child of God. Paul sounds so positive and so confident, it would be easy to assume that life was rosy when he wrote these words. But where was he? According to chapter 1 verse 12 to 14, he was in prison, quite possibly in Rome and facing a death sentence. But listen to his attitude. He is content. Why? Because God is with him. He is self-driven. He is self-sufficient because the supplies from God are beyond measure. Given that sobering context, this passage speaks powerfully to the issue of contentment, not only with material possession, but with the circumstances as well, my friend. Paul makes no idle boast here. He knew firsthand the wealth and the privileges of prominence in the Jewish community and of Roman citizenship. That's what he talked about in chapter 3, verse 4 to verse 6. On the other hand, he had suffered extraordinary hardships in his work. He talks of jailings, beatings, stonings, forcible rejections from several towns, shipwrecks, to say nothing of emotional and spiritual disappointments and setbacks. And of course, his enumeration of these uh, difficulties and hardships is in Second Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 33. Either extreme could test a person's character. What was Paul's secret? Christ who strengthens me. Rather than looking to the possessions he had or he didn't have, or to the circumstances, good or bad, he looked to Christ to satisfy his needs. The result, he says, was contentment. Oh, this passage poses a strong challenge to Christians living and working in today's society. Some of us live in the upper levels of material prosperity, abounding, as Paul puts it. The temptation is to forget God. Likewise, much in our culture urges us to feel discontent with a lot. It urges us to long for more, for bigger, for better. And Jesus warns against that attitude. On the other hand, failures and disappointments can also draw us away from trusting in the God who cares. Paul had learned to be content regardless of his state, to be satisfied when you have, when you do not have, to be satisfied when you have advantages and when you do have disadvantages. Why? Because your relationship with God is a solid one. I know how to be a best, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Philippians 4, verse 12. Paul says, Though I appreciate your sympathy, I know how to live on the lowest plane economically, and I know how to live on the highest plane. I have done both. You see, there were times when he had nothing and he was content. There were times when God had given him an abundance and he had learned how to abound. Now we come to the verse that is often 
quoted, but I think there are only certain circumstances in which it should be quoted. This verse is geared to life. It gets down to where the rubber meets the road. The verse needs to be worked out in life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4 verse 13. You see, when Paul says all things, does he literally mean all things? Does it mean you can go outside and jump over your house? Of course not. Paul says, I can do all things in Christ. That is, in the context of the will of Christ for your life. Whatever Christ has for you to do, he will supply the power. Whatever gift he gives you, he will give you the power to exercise that gift. A gift is a manifestation of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. As long as you function in Christ, you will have power. Now, my friend, if you are a member of the body of Christ, he is the head, and you are to function in the context of his will for your life. Through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is the one who will strengthen you and enable you to do all that is in his will for you, for your life. He certainly does not mean that he is putting into your hands unlimited power to do anything you want to do. Rather, he will give you the enablement to do all the things in the context of his will for you. My friend, let me emphasize this. It is essential to be in God's will, and his will is determined by a knowledge of his word, the Bible. So many people feel that if they can take a little course, it will solve some of their problems. Well, it won't solve them. That is the truth. There is joy, there is satisfaction and sheer delight in being in the will of God and doing what God wants you to do. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Philippians 4 verse 14. You see, Paul here wants them to know that he appreciates their gift. You have done well, you shared in my distress. This is his personal thank you note. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Philippians 4 verse 15. Actually, this church at Philippi was a jewel. There are churches like it across the world today, in your nation, in my own nation, in my own country. Churches like that have a wonderful fellowship and a heart for the things of God. And God is blessing them in marvelous ways. The Philippian church was close to the Apostle Paul's heart. They were the ones who sent support to him. Paul was their missionary. Wouldn't you have loved to have Paul as your missionary and to have had a part in his support? And this church was just one of them. For even in Thessalonica you send aid once and again for my necessities. Philippians 4 verse 16. Now we know from the account in Acts 16 and 17 that Paul had to leave Philippi by the request of the authorities. He went to Thessalonica where those who opposed the gospel he was preaching set the city in an uproar again. 
No one was helping Paul but the Philippian believers. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my distress. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Philippians 4 verse 17. That church in Philippi had been getting dividends on their contribution right down to the present time. Paul wrote them this epistle to thank them. We are studying the epistle today and we are profiting from this study, by the way. This is a part of the dividends of their contribution. They have stock in the apostle Paul, if you like. They will still have part in getting out the word of God. Had they not contributed liberally and cared for Paul, we would not have this letter, which is blessing our hearts today. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Philippians 4 Verse 18. Here Paul compares the Philippians' generosity in supporting his ministry to an Old Testament sweet aroma offering. It's talked about in Leviticus 1 verse 1 to verse 17. Romans 12 verse 1 and verse 2 is actually an understanding of the same principle. That sweet-smelling aroma reminiscent of the sacrificial offering made by Christ. The priest in the Old Testament went into the holy place to put incense on the altar, and it ascended with a sweet smell. A Christian in his giving is like a priest making an offering to God. When it is made in the right spirit, it is, as Paul is saying to the Philippian believers, more than just making a donation or taking up a collection. It is an offering. It is an odor of a sweet smell to God. And that is what your gift is when it is given in the right spirit. When you give to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. Verse 19. God sustains the life of his creation. That's what Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us. His eternal unfailing purpose is to direct and guide his creation and to meet its needs. And Matthew 6 verse 11 tells us this. Now as Paul was confident that he would do all things through Christ who strengthens him, so he is sure that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Thinking of their sacrifice to supply his need, Paul assures them that God would supply all their needs. He doesn't say all their ones. He doesn't include luxury items, but all their needs. However, he does supply luxury items many times. When he does, it is surplus, my friend. He does it out of his loving kindness. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. You see, God gets the glory. He will not share his glory with another. No, 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 no. He gets all the glory. 
Greet every saint in Christ. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Philippians 4 verse 21 to 22. Here Paul greets the believers personally. And the believers who are with Paul also send their greetings. Again, we are told that some were patricians, nobility, members of the household of Caesar. Now they belong to Christ and they want to be remembered by the Christians who are in Philippi. This is amazing. They have been changed, actually showing the effective witness of Paul as he was sharing the gospel with them. Because of all that was happening, Paul actually ends the epistle by saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You see, Paul closes with a benediction, and I will close with a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org